the reason to win the game is so that you can be free of it. This is the Yoakum Swing Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassen behind the scenes. This quote leads us in our guest today, Pratit Patel. Coach Patel is the former director of nutrition for the New York Giants and is currently a performance coach and consultant for all things health. Like many of the guests on the podcast, I, I met Coach Patel through Twitter and a lot of his threads. He, he does an amazing job of telling his story as well as giving knowledge and information out through social media. And I, I've been really attracted to his story. The, the initial quote of the podcast is the goal of winning the game is leaving the game and coach won the game. He, he, he reached the pinnacle of success in the world of sports performance, in the world of nutrition, in working with a professional NFL team. And once he reached it and we cover the story, he, he decided to leave it and enter his own game, enter his own world. And that's something that I've always been super interested in, how people go about that, how people, one, reach the pinnacle and then how they make the decision to leave. And through this podcast, we talk about that journey and we also dive into the rabbit holes of nutrition, the rabbit holes of health and what it means to be healthy. Why are we so far away from health and why? how are we so disconnected from what our grandparents used to do and what our ancestors used to do? And Coach does an amazing job of taking us down these rabbit holes and giving us tangible things that we can start to do today with our athletes or with ourselves to really improve our health, improve our lives, and in the end, improve our performance, which isn't the end all be all. And as Coach mentioned multiple times, there's so many things that go into wins and losses, so many things that go into strictly results-based games. But if we focus on the process and the, the way to get there, then hopefully we can move the needle, not just on the field, but off. I took a ton of notes during this podcast, and I hope you guys as well do as well. One of the truly credible sources of nutrition that I found in the field that isn't just talking about strictly calories in or calories out and what to eat and when to eat it, but a truly holistic approach to nutrition, to health, and to what we want to be. Thank you guys for listening. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Marcus, you know what time it is. Hit that intro music. Oh. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. No, thanks for having me on. We were uh, we were discussing before the before the podcast even started, and I think this is going to be a really good one. I've been looking forward to this one ever since you you tweeted out something about the grandpa. Uh, it was like, <laughs> yeah, but my grandpa smoked and drank, and, and you're like, yeah, but your grandpa also worked ninety hour weeks and did all these things. I thought that was a really cool story because I have a grandpa that's very similar to what you were talking about. 
No, no. I, I thought that um, it's funny because I hear a lot of these same stories and you see the the dialogue that happens on Twitter. Someone says, well, oh, so-and-so's grandpa or my grandma lived to 90 and she smoked every single day. And, you know, she was super healthy or she, you know, had, you know, a couple of drinks of whiskey every single night. But it's like, well, that doesn't mean you should do it because the world that we're living in now is completely different than what our grandparents and our parents had to encounter before. Now everything is just kind of spoon fed towards us. We live in a life of you know, tons of comfort. People are working from home. They're not moving. They're not exercising regularly. We're eating a lot more ultra processed food. We're staying indoors. We're not getting any sunlight. You know, we're just not the same way. So yeah, they may have had, you know, an indulgence here or there that they, that stuck with them for the entirety of their life, but they were moving for 12, 13 hours of the day. They were outside getting sunlight. They weren't stressing over, uh, a diss on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, not being able to connect to Wi-Fi. So I think it's funny when everybody wants to bring up all these health topics, all these different topics and try to fit everything into the same mold based on whoever it is. It's like, look, we have to really take into consideration what the individual situation somebody's going through and look at what the total environment looks like instead of, oh yeah, we'll work for somebody else or somebody else did this. Well, why can't I? And I, th- I think it's super interesting just how disconnected we are from that previous world. And it's not that long ago, but even like, I'll catch myself, like you talk about some of the things that you stress about, and then I'll go home and watch my grandpa work. He's still, he's still, he's 70 years old, like in knee replacement, shoulder replacement, like his body's beat up and every day wakes up at 5am and will not like, he just works manual labor jobs around the house. Like he doesn't have to, he just, he needs to be doing something and he'll work from like 5am to like 8pm every day and just do stuff. And like, when I watch that, I'm like, wow. And most people, like if you're if you're not seeing that in day to day, if you're not watching like what they're actually doing, we're we're so far disconnected from one, what the body's able to do, like that that amount of work and volume that he's going through. But two, like probably what we should be doing. That his health and his body, like he, he's 70 years old, and I guarantee he could beat me up. Like I guarantee, if we were, if we didn't <laughs> know each other, we got in a fist fight. I guarantee he beats me up. But that that disconnect that we have, if we're not looking at it, is I think it's huge. Yeah, I think, you know, my dad's the same way. He's 71, just turned 71 in August, and he's just been moving his entire life. You know, he owned a small business for 30 years. Uh, Him and my mom ran a dry cleaner, and it was pretty much them, two and one or two other employees. So he's constantly been moving. Like, you know, they're in Pearland at home right now in Texas, and it's just the two of them. So my mom takes care of everything inside the house, and, you know, my dad tries to get out of her way. Otherwise, he's just going to out of her. So he, you know, takes care of everything else on the outside part of the house, you know, all the lawn mowing, all the painting, all the, you know, fixing up of different things. And he's constantly moving. He still works too. Um, three days out of the week, he works at Alcon and he just constantly just has to move, which is great. You know, I'm, I'm glad because they're by themselves, but he will continue to do some of those things that he's done for a really long time. Yeah. And before we get into too much of a grandpa rabbit hole here, uh, I, w- I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your, I, I really like your story, the story that I know through Twitter and what you've told through Twitter. Uh, and that, that's how I originally got like, oh, I want this guy on the podcast. Uh, I kind of want to know how you got into the field. And then like we talked about before the podcast, kind of how you got out of the field in a sense, you, you kind of, you, you entered the game, you won the game, and then you kind of left the game in a sense. Can I, can you kind of take us down that journey and what that was like for you? And the, the the process that led to that? Yeah. So, you know, as kids, I was really interested in sports, played soccer and basketball, really enjoyed it. It wasn't any, you know, it wasn't great, but it was pretty decent. And then like a lot of other kids went through a very sedentary time heading into middle school where it was a lot of video games and, you know, 
managing life as an introverted Indian kid who was, you know, in the gifted program. So it wasn't super popular. So went from, you know, being active in grade school to the sedentary period where I gained a lot of weight and made myself even more of an outcast compared to everybody else that I was going to school with. So definitely wasn't very popular by any means. Um, and I think it just got to a point in high school where, you know, that high school is such an impressionable time for a lot of kids, you know, everybody gets pigeonholed in these little clicks. You know, you have your athletes, you have your jocks, you have X, Y, and Z. And I don't even know what, what, what they have nowadays, but you, you kind of know what it was when you were in high school too. But I just really wasn't happy with myself. I remember I went and visited family uh, in 1999, heading into 2000. And I went to Fiji where my mom's side of the family was born and they, most of them are still there. And we spent, you know, Y2K there. And, you know, riding jet skis and out in the pool because it was still uh, that's when they have their summertime, you know, when we have wintertime here. And I just felt still very much of an outcast. Like we'd be in the pool and I had my shirt on because I was just embarrassed about the way I looked. And then I remember seeing photos after the fact of, you know, everybody in the family, all the, the, what we had going on during the trip. And I just became so disgusted with myself. I'm like, is this how I want to continue on feeling like, um, an outcast type of person in high school for the rest of high school heading into college. And I, I made a hard decision right then and there and said, no, you know, I, I wasn't happy with myself, you know, had a lot of self-loathing, a lot of those internal dialogue that a lot of people go through and made a decision to say, I want to change because if I don't, then things aren't going to get any better. It's just going to get progressively worse. So I started learning about nutrition you know, reading things in magazines, Flex Magazine, things in GNC, whatever I get my hands on. Obviously, <laughs> the information there is not credible. But in my head, I, I wanted to look like that, you know, this professional bodybuilder. So learning about nutrition, how to lose weight. So I started just running on a track, like I would do 800 repeats, and just do that every single day while eating like a very low calorie diet. So the weight did come off, obviously not in the right way. But there was this nice transformation over the course of about a year, year and a half, where I dropped a ton of weight and you know started getting into shape. I was still weak as hell because I wasn't doing any resistance training. I wasn't eating very well. And that transformation just like it blew my mind because of where I was and my trajectory and it completely changed. So I became just infatuated with exercise and nutrition, especially on the nutrition front. So got in better shape, you know, started running track. Um ended up playing two years of football. And then, you know, which I, I love the sport, but I love the training aspect of it more because of what it did for me. I'm like, shit, I want to learn more about this. I want to help other people do the same because, you know, there's a lot of others that are going through the same thing. They just don't know where to find some help. So I went to K-State undergrad, um, did dietetics, uh, learned about becoming a registered dietitian. So in my head, I was like, oh, well, I'll become a personal trainer and I'll be an RD and I'll help people in a gym setting. I'm like, that was what a dream job to me look like, you know, at 17, 18 years old. Um, and then started learning a lot more, went through my dietetic internship, got exposed to working with, you know, athletic populations, um, you know, triathlete teams, team sport individuals. I'm like, well, I learned about getting a chance to do it in a team type setting. So had some experiences there, did some intern work, um, came back to Kansas tried to go my own route because at that time I was a dietitian, didn't really have a lot of success because I didn't have a lot of knowledge. Like I didn't, I still didn't know what I was doing. It's the same thing. You know, you go through school, they teach you all the theory and everything in the textbooks, but they don't teach you how to build a business. They don't teach you how to critically think. They don't teach you how to market and brand yourself to talk to people, but got some good advice from some people that said, look, if you can't get a job right now, maybe go back, get your master's degree in kinesiology or exercise science and look at the strength and conditioning route because 
you can make yourself more marketable having a background in both. So if somebody's hiring for a strength coach, lo and behold, you also have this subset of skills and nutrition that you can bring to the table if a team wants to, you know, take advantage of that or university. So I was like, all right, that, that was a great idea. So I went to K-State, um, graduate taught, did some research, um, started like coaching, but then also started working with the men's basketball team. So that was my introduction into working with athletes and getting a chance to see like, okay, this is what their day is like. This is what they think. This is what's important to them. You know, like, yeah, they think nutrition is important. So the talks and the conversations I would have with them were great. You know, they were all smiles and thumbs up, but you know, heading home, they're going to go to the calf and get chicken fingers and fries and drink soda, or they're going to go to McDonald's. They're going to get wings. They're going to get pizza. So that was a really eye-opening experience to realize like, okay, it, it's going to take a lot more to try to learn how to get through to these guys. And I thought that was a good experience. So finished my time at K-State, which was great because I was exposed to a lot of things that I had not been before. So a lot of, you know, high intensity functional training, a lot of West side dynamic stuff, 531, uh, CrossFit, different types of nutrition ideologies. So with that, you know, you've got zone, you've got paleo, which was, a, which was definitely the opposite of what I had learned from school. You know, you start with the pyramid and do the X, Y, and Z, but now I'm working with all these different populations and things are working for them. And it's going against the advice that I was taught. So I think that was a really important time for me to really open my eyes and say, okay, there's multiple ways to try to attack a problem or implement a program and not just sit and think that my ideologies are always going to solve everybody's problems. Um, so that's what I really appreciate of what I was able to do at K-State and then was fortunate enough to get a job at Michigan State. So it was as a sports dietitian working, you know, 10 to 20 hours with the athletes there, but also research, teaching and working with, um, I don't know if you know, Joe Eisenman, but um, he started this group Spartan Performance. So we were doing a lot of coaching with the mid-Michigan youth community of athletes there. So it was, it was like holistic training. So it was like speed. It was resistance training. It was mental skills and nutrition. Um, a lot of movement. So again, exposed to a lot of different things that I had not learned before. So it was kind of the complete opposite of going really hard in the CrossFit, you know, West side five, three, one type of methodology and realizing like, Oh, there's, there's more ways that you can train athletes depending on what it is you need to improve um, depending on the sport and who they are, where they're at. So I thought that was great. Um, continue to build that relationship with the Michigan state uh, athletics department and had a few good years there, was looking forward to trying to run a program there, but they just weren't ready at that time. And I felt like I was ready to take the next step. And, you know, I didn't want to just wait around for another three or five years to see if anything would materialize because anything can happen in sport. So was fortunate enough to, you know, get hired on at Oregon. So now I'm running the whole sports nutrition department and we're tightly integrated with sports science, sports medicine, strength and conditioning. So that really opened my eyes again. So now I'm in charge of a department, a budget, staffing, hiring, firing, um, integrating myself, creating protocols for all these different teams and figuring out like, how do we manage, you know, 600 athletes every single day in multiple locations and have all these conversations with the medical staff, the sports science staff, the coaches. So that was, again, another piece that I was to and learning a lot, you know, so I was definitely a lot closer with the medical and sports science staff there, as opposed to at Michigan state, I worked really closely with the strength and conditioning staff. So seeing perspectives from both sides, which again, allows me to kind of grow, open my eyes, figure out there's a lot more interconnectedness of what 
nutrition specifically can do to help improve not only the health and performance of the athletes, but how can I help the medical staff? How can I help the sports science staff? How can I help the strength conditioning staff? And had a couple of good years there. Unfortunately, um, the last football season I went through very good. The whole coaching staff got fired. You know, they brought a whole new coaching staff in. There was just a lot of, uh, of changes in personnel. And so that changed a lot of the dynamic of my position too, of what was potentially going to happen moving forward. There's a hiring freeze and you know how that goes. Um, everything kind of just gets put on hold plans that you had in place. Uh, you know, they're not there anymore because the money's not there. And at that time I was really itching to contribute more because, you know, nutrition is definitely really important. And we all know that, but at the college level, those positions aren't held in as high regard as the coaching positions. Even though I had great, you know, relationships with all the athletes, the staff got good buy-in. We did a lot of really good, a lot that could have been improved upon. It's just one of those things that are still in the back of my mind. It's like, man, I just, I feel like a coaching piece for me was what was missing because that, that just adds another dynamic and layer to what I could have done and helped out. You know, I felt like I let the team down because we did poorly, which is stupid because, you know, my effect on wins and losses is very minimal, but Heard through the grapevine that the Giants were trying to hire for, um, you know, a dietitian, but they wanted somebody with a strength and conditioning background. So, you know, reached out to them, had a couple of good conversations and, and ended up getting the job. And I didn't want to just try my hand at the next level, just with any position. You know, I wanted something that was kind of comprehensive like that, because that's what I really felt would be really impactful and can bring a lot of value to the table instead of just being, Oh, I'm the team dietitian nutritionist. And a lot of those positions get compartmentalized by making that person oversee everything, food and logistics and um, meal wise, instead of like, you know, I got a background in the conditioning, sports science research. I published papers. I've worked with a ton of different athletes at different levels, had success with multiple football teams. Let me try to piece all of this together and see if there's something there. So I was hired on 2017. Unfortunately, it was just, a transitional time within the organization. We did not do very well. And, uh, you know, there's a variety of reasons for that. Obviously I take my responsibility for my part, but it got to the point where after the 2019 season, I was just thinking like, how much of an impact am I having? Because again, you don't have any control over wins and losses and you're spending 12 to 16 hours a day. People think like, Oh, the NFL has a long off season. No, because of the turnover in the coaching staff, because of what, was expected of us because there was a lot of ambiguity with, you know, what is my role and how does the organization view me moving forward? I can't just ask for time off or I can't ask for a raise because, well, I'm getting my extensions, but am I supposed to negotiate even though I'm doing a lot for this one role and I'm taking on a lot of, you know, these responsibilities that um, hadn't, hadn't been maximized at that time. And, you know, I missed a lot of time away from family and friends. You know, I, was living by myself kind of figuring out like, is this what I want to do for the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, as long as I can before we get fired, because that's just inevitable. <laughs> that's just what happens this day and age. And, you know, I, I kind of went through some of this stuff on um, those, those posts and threads I had on, on Twitter where I kind of just laid it all out. And what my thought process was, you know, going over those four P's that um, Kier talks about, and he, he kind of posted on strength coach network, you know, pay progression, personal life and purpose, you know, it was never really about the money because again, people will say that, but at the same time, it, I think the happiest I was been overall was when I was at Michigan state making like 
54 grand. Now, obviously I wasn't saving anything. <laughs> I didn't have a, a lot of money in the account. I, I, I wrote about that on a thread, but I think my mental well-being was really good because I had a lot of friends around me and I, I really enjoyed what I was doing. You know, the progression was gone. So there were changes to my role. And at that time I was doing things that a lot of people weren't doing and hadn't integrated. And I think that that was a really great way to be able to connect and provide a lot of value to the players just on an individual level to help them as opposed to, is it making a big contribution to wins and losses? Uh, personal life, things weren't going very well. You know, I'm an introvert. And when we went through those bad seasons, it's like, all right, we got to double down. We got to work harder. You know, we have to be in the building. We got to try to figure out what we can do to gain an edge. So that takes all of, you know, looking at work-life balance out of the window and just fixating on, we just, we can't fuck up. You know, we have to work hard because our asses are on the line because we could get fired at any moment's notice. And I don't, and in my head, I'm like, look, I never want to look back and say, man, I wish I would have tried a little bit harder in this area or that area. And I didn't want to have any regrets as opposed to if we did end up getting fired and, you know, I try to maximize what I could have done in my role. I would have been fine with that. It would have been, look, it happens to a lot of people, it happens to a lot of good people. That's just the nature of the business. And then, you know, purpose looking at, is this really what I'm meant to do for the next you know, cause I'm 36. So for the next, however, you know, 40 or 30 years, 40 years of my life in this role, not feeling very satisfied because there, you know, there were changes with a lot of the moving pieces that had come and gone and not feeling like I'm really contributing very much of anything because it went from coaching and being super integrated. to where you're only going to focus on one area, which was taking out the coaching piece, which a lot of like the, the organization, the players really, recognize it and they resounded to it. So a lot of conversations I've had with dozens of the guys that we had on the roster kind of confirmed that too. So I made the decision because I just wasn't happy at all. Like was second guessing a lot of things I was in my head and this had never happened before. And I had always known, you know, with my gut feeling, like it was time to move on from the previous roles that I had and look to see if there was something different. And I had that same feeling last year during training camp. And it just became so overwhelming to the point where I've never felt like this before. This isn't right. You know, I'm not going to be happy doing a job when you're not happy is not fair to the people I'm working with and for and who are paying me to do that job. So I figured there's probably somebody better suited to take up the responsibilities for what was given to me based on what had changed in a better manner and with more enthusiasm than what I was bringing to the table. So again, it wasn't fair to the players. It wasn't fair to the organization to even, you know, half-assed or three-quarter acid. So that's when I decided, you know, not an easy decision, but in my head at that time, and I still believe it, was the right decision to just, you know, pivot and try to step away and figure things out for myself. And with that, because I, I think that's something I hear a lot of coaches talk about and reflect on on the, the post end, but in that moment where you're, you're having that, that gut feeling, and I talk to a lot of coaches that feel like they have that gut feeling, what was the moment like when you pulled the trigger, uh, when you, you made that decision, you know, like, was there one thing where it was like, somebody said something like, all right, this is happening. Or it, you, you, you talked about that reflection process. Like how, how, what was that actually like actually doing it, you know, like thinking about and feeling it is different than actually pulling the trigger and leaving the game that you had won. You had reached the highest level. You had reached what everybody's looking up to you at that point and being like, that's what I want to do. And you were able to leave, you were able to actually pull the trigger. What was that like? What was that process like for you? Yeah, I think in the back of my mind, I'd always thought about what was going to happen um, once that 2020 season was done. 
because, you know, I got an extension in March of 2020 for 2021, but I hadn't signed it. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, let me just go through this season and see how it goes. And if, again, it's, it's not what I want to do. If I don't feel like I'm really contributing and, and mainly maximizing what I feel like I can bring to the table. And I never wanted to sell myself short and I never have. And that's the reason why I was very fortunate to have that ascending career path that I did. Um, I was going to kind of just play by ear. And then if there was another opportunity that came up, then I'm not bound by a contract because of the extension that I could pursue it. If it was something that really would allow me to take the next step because I had already, you know, plateaued, there wasn't any next step within the organization. I kind of tried to have some talks there, but there wasn't any discussion. There was just, okay, we'll see, but it just never materialized, which is fine. You know, things happen. Uh, I think the thing that pulled the trigger, and I talked about this in one of my threads, was my sister called me during at the beginning of training camp, and my dad was having his 70th birthday last year. You know, obviously, your dad only gets one <laughs> in his lifetime, and it, it had been probably a decade since I'd been around family, you know, mom, dad, or sister's birthday. And, you know, she asked, like, are you going to be able to make it? Unfortunately, that's August 15th, so, you know, we're in the middle of training camp, so I can't go anywhere. And not not having any type of control over my life to say, yeah, I want to see my dad on his 70th birthday, regardless of time of year, just felt so defeating. And I felt awful. Like that was like, I just started thinking about all the things that I had missed out on, you know, trying to follow this path. And, and previously it had been worth it because I felt a lot of value and satisfaction with what the dual role had brought to the table, maybe even really a tri role. But then that kind of got altered once, you know, Aaron left for Indiana and then there wasn't, and there was a change up with me not um, coaching anymore. So in my head, I'm like, now it's not worth it. Now missing out on, you know, my dad's 70th, my mom's birthday, the birth of my nephews, you know, spending time with sister, missing one of my best friend's weddings that I was supposed to be in as a groomsman. That's when I made the decision to say, I think it's time to kind of pivot. Well, I think that freedom piece, and that's something that I hear a lot of high level coaches like yourself talk about is like, we, we, we try to push for the money. We try to push for that job title. We try to push for that next thing. And without any sight of that freedom piece, which is, which was, is one of the biggest things in your life, like having the freedom or at least have the option to have that freedom. Like let's in, in that moment, if you wanted to be there and work and do that, but you at least have the option for freedom, which is something that I, I don't think is discussed really in our field. It's, it's job title, it's uh, references, it's, it's, it's the pay range, but it's what, what is our freedom? How do we set ourselves up for that freedom to be in place? And I, I think there is, there is a route to do that. There are ways to do that, but we, we don't discuss that as a field. We, we just like, we, we're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for sacrifice, sacrifice. And a point that you mentioned, it's like, if you're not happy at the job, what do you think the athletes are going to feel? You think, you think they're going to get the best version of you. And that's, you have a lot of coaches that are, that are bitter about stuff. You know, it's like, they're hiding that bitterness within. It's like, what, what do you think that's going to be like for the athletes? When you, you have a coach that is bitter coaching them, you have a coach that knows he's in a cage, he's in uh, literally a cage for some people in the weight room. It's, it's like a basement cage type thing, you know, like you're stuck there. What, what do you think the athletes are going to feel like when they know their coach doesn't have the freedom and he's kind of projecting that onto them? Yeah. And, and you know what? Athletes are a lot more perceptive than we give them credit for. They know, you know, a lot of them can really sense it. And, and you know, there's going to be a lot of chatter amongst the locker room because, you know, news travels really with a small team of 53 plus 10 and they're all in, in close proximity. And when money's on the, on the line, like it is in the NFL, um, 
you can't really hide a lot of that stuff. So it's definitely not fair to them if somebody's going through some internal struggles and isn't able to compartmentalize it and put on a face. You know, I was able to poker face it for the entire month, but on the inside, it was like somebody was lighting a fire inside of me saying, well, put it out, do something about it. Um, but that's not necessarily the case with with a lot of other people who aren't able to kind of control those emotions and control their stress, which I think, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to do before um, my final day, which none of the players knew, none of the other coaches knew. They was kind of on a hush-hush. And I think there were some reasons why they told me to keep it on low. And I, I'm not a person. I didn't want to fucking pound my chest and and shout it from the top. Like, oh, hey, guys, in two weeks is my last day. It's like, uh, kind of let me just sneak out the back and say my goodbyes and, you know, if you need anything, let me know. I'll be here for you. And I want to draw back now too, because I, I really like the, the leaving the story piece. But one of the other parts that you brought up was breaking your ideolo- ideologies from from college, from school, uh, and the these first thoughts and programs that are kind of put in your head. And even maybe it's the GNC magazine that you read, because I know guys that are like that with training. It's like they got their first results off this one program, and now it's the answer. What what, was it something growing up that allowed you to do that? Was it something that you had to work on to be able to break those ideologies and look for answers within all methods and look for BS in all methods? Like, what was that kind of process like for you? And what's it like currently for you to be able to like funnel through some of the, there's so much information. There's so much stuff put in front of us. How do you go about making sure you are taking the good from everything and eliminating the BS from everything, including your own program, including what your own like biases are? How, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything growing up that really allowed me to do that. I, you know, for a very long time, I'd been a very fixed mindset person. You know, had success doing something one way, and I'm going to continue doing it. And anybody other's way that gets brought to the table is not as good or minus superior because I had results for myself and expect everybody else to have those same type of results. I, I think getting a chance to work in a few high level programs in see that they had success doing two very completely different things. You know, one's more traditional, old school. The other's very progressive in terms of how the athletic department is built and structured. You know, when you look at it from a football perspective, you have training methodologies that support how the team needs to be built up. So in the Big Ten, so you have a very traditional pro style offense. You know, it's not flashy. It's not spread. But then you transition and you look at what Oregon was doing. It's, you know, spread offense, it's up tempo. The way they train is to um, support that based on what the requirements are for each of the position groups and what the players are required to do in training and what they want to execute on game day. So both teams had success doing completely different types of things. And in my head, it's like, oh, okay, well, we just need to figure out what is it the coach wants? What is the culture of the team how does you know the offensive coordinator want to run offense how does the defensive coordinator want to run defense and getting the chance to see that because both had great success you know went from one rose bowl year and then michigan state went to cotton bowl and then to oregon rose bowl natty and it's like okay well uh two completely different training methodologies two different approaches to sport science and performance two vastly different allocation of resources in terms of you know medicine and, and sports nutrition. So maybe it's not me, maybe it's just the system and the players. And then we all just are there to support. And I think a lot of people get really caught up in one way of doing things when there's consistent success and everybody's kind of riding the coattails. And I'm not talking about the coaches and the players. It's it's more of the support staff, you know, strength and conditioning staff, performance staff. So my early on in my career, I was a part of some really good teams you know, for about five or six years straight. 
which was cool. But then from 2015 onward, I was a part of some really bad teams, even though I was learning a lot more. I was becoming a lot more open-minded. I was seeing things from a different lens. I was able to kind of connect a lot more dots. And what I could bring to the table was a lot more valuable than when I started. So starting very fixed mindset to going to more growth mindset and, and how can I support everybody else instead of, well, it's all about me and you know what I can do and how much I can make and what my title is and things of that nature. So I think getting a chance to experience that was really eye-opening when you go from the high of the high to seeing an entire coaching staff get fired, college and current coaches have get fired, NFL, entire coaches have get fired, NFL. You know, you realize like, man, I'm not shit, but let me just see what I can do to maximize my potential and what I can bring to the table in my role and try to do that better than anybody else can, which involves, you know, a variety of different things. So I think that was very important for growth. And I've said this a couple of times, being able to go through those low lows in the NFL and really make me evaluate myself, my biases, the way I approach problems, how I critically think was, I guess, to a certain extent forced upon us because now we have, we have a brand new head coach. He has a new system. There's new players. We have to start from scratch, developing a relationship with all of them. There's a new GM. So now we have to really build that buy-in again and scrap what we thought worked in the past because apparently it, it really didn't because <laughs> it didn't contribute to wins and losses, even though, um, small part of what we're in charge of. So I think that was more valuable than if we were to make the playoffs, you know, every single year or even get, you know, a Super Bowl, because then I would be married to the same things that I had done for a very long. And, you know, I'm a completely different coach and practitioner than I was back in 2009, which when I look back at the way I used to think and how I used to act and the things I used to say, like I cringe, which I hope everybody would end up doing, you know, not every 10 years, but maybe, you know, even every couple of years, get a chance to really learn a lot because there's so much out there that we don't know. We have, we haven't been exposed to in the world of sports and dealing with people and communication and leadership and just life itself. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's super powerful because even so our, our college that I work at, we, uh, we we're a division three football program and on the very high end, uh, like we're dominating teams uh, <laughs> and we got kicked out of our conference because of that and bumped up to division one this year. So now it's like talking with the coaching staff. It's a very similar thing. It's, it's like, all right, we had what works, but now it's the real eye opener of, all right, you're going to lose games and how are you going to adjust? How are you going to like, take that to the next level. And I think um, the COVID and the pandemic was another really good one for a lot of coaches that took advantage of it. It's like, all right, you lose a lot of the, what you had access to before you lose your, I mean, even a lot of people losing jobs and losing um, what they were able to work with for a long time. We were only able to train outside. It's like, all right, how are you going to make it work? How are you going to grow through these, like these low lows that you talk about? And I think it's the only way to really grow. Cause if you are winning, if you are in the, unless you are phenomenal with the growth mindset and unless you have a really good group of friends that is able to, or not even friends, but uh, networking group that is able to tell you, Hey, like you should change this. You should change it. If you're winning in your head, it's like, all right, I have the answers. I'm doing this right. I have all like, everything's perfect. But when you, when you go to Lolo, it's like, all right, there are other answers are different things that look at. And I think that's where we have to continue to keep that mindset rather than like reach the pinnacle. And then, and that's where you see it's like, it's like the rebel climbs the climbs the mountain and once they climb the mountain they stop becoming the rebel they start becoming like the 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 order-based uh person and now it's like in five years now now they're the person that the new rebel that's climbing the mountain is kind of taking over and it's that repeated cycle whereas hopefully we continue to climb the mountain hopefully we continue to look for the answers yeah i think you know especially in sport 
there's there might be two reasons that people are afraid to change. One is if it doesn't work, then the person who brought about the new solution or the new way of doing things is going to be scapegoated. And there's a variety of reasons why it doesn't work. Two, people just don't know any other way to do things. You know, you, you see there's a lot of <laughs> you, you, you can kind of know the quality of a coach or practitioner by getting a chance to kind of talk to them. And, you know, you should know within a few minutes, like, okay, this person knows exactly what they're talking about, or yeah, this person's full of shit. And unfortunately with it, just like with any field, you've got a bell shaped curve, but everything is, in my opinion, is due to the left. And you have, you know, a small percentage that are very open and trying to do things and going where others weren't and having success, regardless of wins and losses, because the KPIs that we want to track, bring to the table have nothing to do with wins and losses, even though that's what gets magnified. And that's what people think like, oh, so-and-so team has won for a decade straight. That person must be good. When on the inside, it's like, well, there's a lot of factors why they are good. So I think, you know, that's one thing that sport is really not good about implementing is any type of change, you know, especially football is as notorious about it as, as any other sport, you know, practice has to be this way. we got to watch film. we got to, you know, train this way. It's got to be this time. Everybody has to spend X amount of time in the buildings is how much film we need to spend breaking down and not realizing like, is the way that we're structuring our days, our months, our year beneficial to what we're trying to achieve. So nobody wants to start with the, the end goal and work backwards, deconstruct it and figuring out, all right, everybody come to the table, everybody talk. Um, it's one of the posts that I had recently, you know, in over a decade in sport, I never got a chance to sit in the same room as every other coach, you know, the head of medical sports science, whoever, uh, AD or GM or whatever, and go through like, okay, did we meet the expectations that we wanted? Where are we at as a team or organization? Who do we have Let's talk about that person. What does this person need to do and get better? Every area you talk about it because everybody's going to have a little bit of insight and a different relationship. But when you bring all that information together cohesively, it can be very powerful in making smart decisions because, you know, a position coach is going to see things just this way. The coordinator is going to see things this way. The head coach is going to see things this way. But me as the person who spends more time with the players than anybody else, it's like, well, I kind of have a little bit of different knowledge too. But if I had the information from all those other higher ups, then that would help me do my job. And maybe if I could share information about what I know, it would help them see things and make better decisions as well. So I think that it, it just blows my mind that people just don't want to put a, a push the pause button and say, let's, let's kind of discuss things. Let's have open dialogue. Let's communicate a lot more when you're talking about people's livelihoods on the job, you know, making a lot of money or not making a lot of money, people getting fired, you know, fan bases that are unruly and pissed off, you know, it, these, there are so many things that can actually be done that, aren't being taken advantage of. There's so many missed opportunities. Well, I, I talk about this a lot too. It's like, and I mean, it's through the podcast, but it's like, if all you see is the barbell, your only answer is a barbell. If you're a sport coach and all you see is the field and that drill, that's all you're going to see. If you're administration, all you see is the piece of paper and the numbers, that's all you're going to see. Whereas it's like individually, it does not make sense for that to be the only answer. But if it's all you see, it is the only answer. Whereas if you come into a room and it's like, all right, the barbell is the answer. And the sport coach is like, no, like this is what I'm seeing as the answer. And you're actually able to have those conversations. A lot of the stuff that we do in a lot of sectors and a lot of stories that I hear just wouldn't make sense. But because we don't have those conversations, it, it, it we're just blind to it. A lot of times we're just blind to what we're saying, what we're doing and how we're kind of moving and steering the ship. Yeah. And a lot of it just happens. Like this is the way we've done it in the past. You know, coaches were players formerly back in, you know, the eighties or nineties, 
or 2000s when you didn't have as many rules or restrictions when you can have two a day, three days. So, you know, that's their experience because they did it and they may have had success that way. Again, it's the same thing when we look at our biases, like, oh, this is the only one training style. This is the only nutrition program. This is the only way to, you know, recover. And we try to project them onto everybody else without kind of just stopping looking at everything as a whole and thinking, oh, is this the best way to go about doing what it is we want to achieve? Or is there something else we could do which could provide the results we want, but just in a different manner? Yeah. And I think about that all the time as if somebody that had zero experience of football were to look at what we do is like, would that make sense? If they just had a, like no bias to just looking at ours, like, would that make sense? And oh, a lot of times it's, like, it's great not. because, you know, when you're a professional organization, you get people from abroad, especially, you know, up in, in the New York, New Jersey area, which you have easier access for people coming over from Europe. So, you know, it's just a commonplace that if there's an off season time for sporting organizations abroad and they want to learn, they're going to come to the U S and, you know, and, and this is one of the good things about having a very open mindset is there's a lot of great things that sporting organizations are doing abroad that definitely could and should be implemented in the U S but they want to learn from everybody. So it's not just, Oh, I'm a, I'm a soccer club. I got to go look at every other soccer club. It's like, well, no, you can learn something from anybody, you know, the same way when you read books, you can read a business, you can read, um, leadership, you can read a biography of somebody else that has nothing to do with what you do. And you can learn something and say, I can apply this to my daily life or to who I work with. So we would have people come and observe practice and they would ask the best questions. Like, why are they doing that? Well, that's what the coach wants. Or how come he's doing this? Or how come he's not there? Or, you know, they would have really good questions and insight to where it really challenges us to question, what is it that we're doing and why? What are we doing and why? Is this the best way to do it? And if not, can we come up with some different ideas? So that's, I really like the outside perspective. And it didn't even have to be somebody from a sporting organization. It could be somebody from a leadership academy or a business or a CEO, because, you know, they think of things in a variety of different ways and manners too, because they're in charge of people. They need to, you know, have high performance and do things a certain way. So that's why it's, I think it's so valuable to have a lot of conversations with people outside of the field. And with this growth mindset and outside mindset perspective that we've been talking about, I want to kind of dive this into your what, which is nutrition, health, and training. And I'm interested in what are kind of your pillars for your program. And I'm very interested in how you, how you tie and implement, because you talked about earlier, how do you, you would tell them all this stuff and then they would go eat chicken fingers and you're like, God, like, what am I doing? But how, well, like, what are your pillars? Like, what are the pillars that you really try to get across? What does health mean to you? And how are we implementing health into the world of performance, not just sports performance, but you also talked about business performance. Like how are you doing these things and, and what is that to you? Yeah. So when I think of health, just in general, it's not just something that happens statically or in a vacuum, you know, health is your ability to adapt to a stress and get back to, you know, your status quo. And ideally your status quo means, you know, all your internal systems are working really well. Um, you're at a, you know, healthy body weight. Um, you feel good mentally, feel good physically. Um, so it's, it's being able to adjust to all the different stresses that life has to put together. So when I work with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, I do as much of a thorough assessment as possible because I want to learn as much as I can about that person. I want to put myself in their shoes and understand what it is they go through on a daily basis, like you know what their schedule looks like, what their mentality is when they approach certain things. So I look at everything from you know full medical history to everything about sleep because sleep is a massive pillar for health and performance to stress management. What do they go through on a daily basis? Um, I look at obviously nutrition, do as much as I can to learn about their habits, what it is that they're trying to achieve. 
um, exercise, movement, and then the environment that they're around, you know, not only physically, but, you know, socially, because if people don't have the support at home, you know, within their friends and family circle or at work, it's going to be really difficult for them to want to implement changes and do things that we know people should be doing and we know are associated with health and well-being, but now are deemed weird because the majority of the people around the planet are in shit health. So what's common is to do the wrong things. And what's uncommon is to do the right things, you know, like go to bed early, you know, not eat a shit ton of fast food or ultra processed food, try to get as much sunlight exposure as you can, Um, you know, a lot of different things like that. So I'll assess it and I'll gauge, you know, where, where they're at, where I think they can be, and then implement and create a program based on everything that they're going through. So there's, you know, there's a variety of different things that we could try to address those main pillars, come up with KPIs for each of those, and then try to track progress you know, not shoot for the moon, not try to reach a certain goal weight, you know, within 30 days, it's like, look, that'll come in time, but you have to do these things to be able to get there. Because once you get there, you still have to work at it. It's not like, oh, once I lose 30 pounds, yeah, now I can start boozing and eating whatever I want. It's like, well, if you do that, you're going to gain the weight right back. But, you know, if you develop some consistency and discipline and you have these new habits ingrained in your lifestyle and you, you're doing it because you feel better, and you want to feel better, then that's what's going to help, you know, keep you on. So it's, 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 it's the same kind of thought process for athletes, the same kind of thought process for CEOs, everything's based on principles, but each person's situation is very different. You know, they have different schedules. They wake up at a different time they go to bed at a different time. Um, you know, they have family obligations, they have, you know, uh, job obligations. So it's finagling and figuring out how, and they're working, you know, working out at different times. You know, some in the morning, some in the evening, um, they have different preferences for the workouts that they want to do. They have some are trying to gain weight, some are trying to lose weight, you know, so implementing all of that, taking into consideration the totality of everything that they're going through to try to maximize each one of those pillars of health. And you mentioned some principles and habits uh, nutrition wise, which I think is huge because a lot of people, they, they, they want like a, a diet. Um, a meal plan, you know, like, Hey, eat this at this, at this, at this. And to me, like a lot of that, it's like, if you're completely like, you have no idea, like it's sure. Like give you, give you some example, but like you said, like people have different jobs they are working out at different times. They have different goals. And to me, it's like, you, you have to set it up in a principle slash habit way, especially. And then especially like in the college world where they don't, they don't have access to a lot. Like I'll tell them, like, if I would tell them to eat salmon, it's like, all right, where are they going to get salmon from? They, they have, access to fast food cafeteria and their, their dorm, like microwave. It's like, yeah, that's not realistic. How are, how are you implementing these principles and habits? And what are some of them with your, with your clientele? Like, what are some of the principles and habits that you think basically people can take and grab and and use to improve their life rather than, Hey, yeah, eat this at this time. Yeah. I, I think it's just looking at, you know, when we think about nutrition as a whole, it's not just the foods we eat, it's like, all right, what, what is the motivation and what are our drives to eat? So there's a lot of things that fact that influence food choices. So when we identify, is it out of need? Is that hunger? Is it a, you know, a, a psychological thing? Is it economic? You know, like you said, some of these kids can't afford it. Is it religious or cultural? Is it just you eat, eat for pleasure or boredom? As a lot of people have been reduced to working from home, they are at home. They have easy access to food. You know, they're bored. They have nothing else to do. What do they do? They turn to food or if they're stressed out, you know, they turn to food. So identifying some of those factors, the next is, um, you know, figure out the timing of it. You know, now, nowadays we have everything from intermittent fasting to one meal a day to alternate day fasting to time restricted eating to at eat, add, 
nauseum ad libitum whenever you want to. Uh, I think when more research comes out, we want to follow our circadian rhythm. So they call it chrononutrition because that's an area of emphasis where there's a lot of great research and it definitely has shown great benefits for the people I've worked with, whether it's an athlete, whether it's a non-athlete, figuring out what works best for you. Now, you know, now they're saying that early morning feedings and then cutting it off, you know, after about 12 or 13 hours is ideal for, you know, most non-athletes if they're trying to show improvements to health, um, like biomarkers, longevity, as opposed to a lot of people intermittent fast, like, well, I won't eat until noon. I won't eat until two. And then they'll have their feeding window for six or eight hours and then cut it off. And now we know that we have these certain clock genes that are active earlier in the morning. So if we're trying to gain muscle mass and strength, uh, being able to stimulate muscle protein synthesis earlier in the morning seems to be the key to getting a high amount of protein from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then tapering down and getting the rest of your protein or what your required macros are for that day instead of doing what a lot of college kids and people do is, well, I'm going to have a small amount and then I'm going to blast it off and have two steaks at dinner and then call it good. So now we want to kind of flip that. And then we also look at how people should eat. And this, this is a funny one. So people don't necessarily have a strategy for sitting down during their feedings. And we know that we want to be very calm. We want the parasympathetic nervous system to be activated because we want our food to digest. We don't want to be stressed out. We don't want to be hyper. We don't want to be thinking about a lot of other things because when that happens, well, blood flow is going to go from wanting to stay in the gut to help digest things to, you know, the vessels and the areas of the body that are requiring this increase in heart rate. So that's why, you know, you don't eat anything and then you go for a practice. Well, because that food's going to sit there in your stomach because all the blood flow is going to go to your muscle working tissue instead of helping digest food. And that's where guys feel sick. So being able to be like, okay, I'm, I'm calm at mealtimes. Maybe I do a little bit of nasal breathing. I eat my food slowly. I chew it completely, you know, 20 or 30 times because we really want to chow down on our food to have a good surface area for, you know, these acid in the stomach to be able to break it down instead of doing what a lot of people do. And I was guilty of this for a very long time you know, three bites, swig of water, you know, eat as quickly as possible because I got to get to the next thing I have in my day. Well, when we have these big chunks of food, they're not going to be broken down properly in the stomach because, you know, it might not just have the proper exposure. And so when it gets into the gut, it starts creating issues because that's what's going to have to start passing through the microvilli into the system. So you have, you know, leaky gut, you have IBS, you have all these issues only because people aren't <laughs> chewing their food properly. And then, you know, not just eating and then laying down or sitting down. It's like, okay, take a walk, you know, let gravity assist with digestion. It helps with, you know, decreasing blood glucose levels, figuring out obviously what to eat too. So, I mean, that's going to be very individualized per person. But for most people, it's like, okay, we want a decent amount of protein, uh, especially if we're an athlete in resistance training. We want to try to maximize getting carbs around our workouts. If we're a person who eats carbs or is training, uh, we want to make sure that we consume plenty of probiotic type foods and then prebiotic fiber to feed it because we want a healthy gut. There's a really strong connection between the gut and the brain. It's where in the majority of our immunity is kind of housed. It's precursors for the majority of the serotonin and dopamine that's created in the body. Also, you know, B vitamins, vitamin K, synthesis of that. Yeah, but when we don't eat the foods that help populate it, when we drink a lot of alcohol, medications, eat a lot of ultra processed food, we're not getting a chance to populate the gut. So that's when a lot of digestive issues could potentially happen, which exacerbate a lot of negative conditions. So making sure that, um, you know, getting healthy fats to, you know, extra virgin olive oil, um, nuts and seeds, avocados, um, sparingly with the butter and the, and the coconut oil, things of that nature. And then 
making sure we're getting enough micronutrients on a daily basis because the body can't synthesize them. We need them for, you know, coenzymes for factors to help others get absorbed in the body. The best sources are real food. If we can't get them from real food, then we want to strategically supplement from good quality sources. So the right amount, the right form, instead of having to opt and get it from fortified sources, which don't always provide the best. So, you know, that that's what we eat. And then how much, again, it's going to be dictated by how big you are, how many calories you're expending. Are you trying to gain weight? You're trying to lose weight. Do you need to be in a caloric surplus? Do you need to be in a caloric deficit? So, you know, again, the principles are all the same. You just kind of tweak it based on each person's individual situation, what their health status is, what they're missing. Are they allergic to something? Do they have an aversion? Um, and again, they, you know, they kind of have the same line of thinking and then you just kind of scale it depending on where it needs to go. Yeah. That, that's awesome. That was, that was a great rant. That was good stuff. Um, <laughs> it made me think you, you talked about like the, the plan of eating and like chewing your food and being there. And it's, it's like, you, we talk, bring it back to the grandpa stuff. It's like, how, how did they used to eat? You know, it was like a community, like yeah. your family, uh, you would give thanks before. So you're, you're kind of winding yourself down before if in the giving thanks process and then you're talking and eating. So it's going to be like the long term, like it, you, your meal is going to last a while. You're going to eat, you're going to do that rather than current and not, not like I'm said, like I'm guilty of it as well. It's like you're, you're eating on the run, trying to like be as productive as possible. And you think how far away from normal in, in quotations, normal is that? Yeah. It's funny because even back then it was a lot of more home cooked meals. It's whole type foods, minimally processed versus, you know, things that are just out of a can, out of a package. Um, you know, taken from a freezer, put in a microwave. So the quality of food is better. And then that, that sense of community is really important. They've done studies on this too, where you have decreases amount of stress, depressive episodes, binge eating disorders. Um, when kids eat with their parents, you know, in a familiar environment, as opposed to, I mean, you can imagine some of these kids at school, if they don't have a, a social circle or a group of friends, you know, they're eating by themselves, they're not happy or they're, they're scared or they're afraid or they're anxious. So sometimes that kind of gets lost in the mix as well. Yeah. And I, I, I just like, I want to appreciate your approach to how there's so many pieces. I'm reading Hunter Hunt, the 21st century hunter gatherers guide to the 21st century. And they're talking about the very similar thing. It's like, all of these things are tied in. Stress is tied into your diet. Stress is, you know, all these pieces are tied in and you're not just trying to approach it in the very calorie in versus calorie out approach, which is, it, it's a, it's a part of it. It's not trying to be the other end of it. where like calories in calories in don't matter at all, but trying to take all these pieces and combine it into the whole complex system, which is the human body and talking about calories. You also mentioned KPIs. What are some of those KPIs for you? Is it the subjective, like how, how, how are you feeling? What are your energy levels? Like, is it the calories in calories out? Is it your weight? Is it how you look like, how, what are some of those KPIs and how are you, how are you using those with your clients and your athletes when, when you're working with athletes? Yeah. I mean, if, for most people, that number one is just the number on the scale, but as we know, that's not always indicative of what's going on in the body. And it's not always the most important thing because you can do some crazy shit to change that number on the scale, but that doesn't mean it's the healthy way or you're going to be able to sustain it long-term. So looking at each one of those categories, more often than not, if we're talking about the, the nutritional aspect side of things, um, you know, weight tracking is important. Looking at certain things like body composition, maybe we'll do some circumference measurements, skin folds, or if they have access to a local DEXA, then that's a, a really good um, body composition assessment screening tool that, you know, doesn't necessarily cost a ton of money. So you can do every, you know, every eight weeks, get a DEXA scan to see how things are progressing. Um, you know, when I ask them, I want to make sure I know, you know, how their digestion is going, what their mood is like, what their energy is like, their stress levels, do they, how their sleep is going, 
um, the quality of their workouts. Do they, are they getting stronger? You know, if, I, if I'm programming for them, then I obviously know that, you know, there's going to be some sort of progression involved in knowing what those RPEs from each one of those sessions is going on. If we're looking at certain things like, um, interval, interval things on the bike or sprint sessions or whatever, if we can gauge some type of power output and see if they're able to maintain it while increasing, you know, like we're doing another set or we're going to increase the sprint uh, duration by two seconds and they're still able to maintain that. Okay. We're, we're improving anaerobic power. Um, how their clothes are fitting, you know, if the number on the scale isn't changing, but somebody's going through a resistance training protocol and they're eating a high protein diet, then obviously we know that there is going to be some changeover depending on how detrained they are. They'll see some, you know, gains over the first two to three weeks and then stuff will time to taper off. But if, you know, the notch on the belt is getting looser and looser and the clothes are getting looser and looser too, but number on the scale isn't, well, we obviously know there's some recomping that's happening too. Um, I think looking at, you know, some of those uh, objective measures and then taking into consideration their subjective measures too. So getting a chance to combine it because some people are just very visual. They have to see something, you know, are they getting X number of hours per sleep consistently? And, you know, they have something like an aura that they're using to track it. So, okay, that's great. So they can see that and say, okay, I can correlate that to how I felt the next day, you know, how sore I was or how sore I wasn't. So coming up with each one of those strategies to find what those KPIs are for each of those pillars. And, and I want to die tie this into the, the college world now when you were there how how were you implementing these thought processes and things in the restricted world of the college world because we, we have a lot of our guests are not guests uh, a lot of our podcast listeners are collegiate or high school even coaches whereas high school i think is a little bit different because yeah, the other the parents are giving you but the college world where you do have the cafeteria the the options aren't as great like you said like a lot of them are not, not going to listen in the first place but maybe maybe we are talking about the guys that are listening what are some like real world tips that you implemented when you were working with these colleges to try to get your pillars across, try to really hit on some of the points that you think you could hit on. Is yeah. It so, you know, we were fortunate enough to have some of the athlete monitoring software to be able to ask those questions on a day-to-day basis. And I know sometimes it's just overkill to the players. Some of them were probably just putting, you know, three, 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 just to get it done. So um, <laughs> the validity of the data in terms of what we want it to mean might not always be there, but for the most part, most of them are pretty good about answering honestly, because when we explain it to them, like we're going to ask you these questions. And if something's out of one, or, you know, the entire team is out of one, it's like, okay, yeah, they are going through midterms. And a lot of these players are stressed out. Let's dial it back in the weight room and tell the coach at practice, like, Hey, you know, this is a stress that we can't really do anything about. And we just going to have to roll with it. If you keep the training intensity, at the same level, you're not going to get the same quality of product out that you want out of these players. And you're going to beat them down even more. And sometimes it would just be, we would set thresholds to where if, you know, a body weight was less or more than X percent of that threshold or sleep quality as expressed by the athlete or soreness was not within line and it happened to happen over a few days, then, you know, we get flagged, we get sent an alert and notice, then we could go to the player and talk to them about it. Like, Hey, you know, what's going on? Um, you've no, you've noted that you've been sleeping really poorly over the past few days. Let's, let's work backwards. They ask them questions and not, you know, not an accusatory manner. It's just letting them know that we can try to create some interventions for you based on what's going on because life is going to happen. But if you leave it unchecked, then it doesn't even allow us to at least come with some solutions to the table. And I think it, it's, it's difficult to do it for an entire team because you're just going to get varying levels of buy-in and compliance. You're going to get the kids that are very interested in it and appreciate it. 
you're going to get some that just don't care for it. They're just there to work uh, ball and they don't care about any of that other stuff. Um, and, and again, it's the same kind of mindset in the NFL too. So working with those guys on an individual basis to really just talk to them, you know, understand what it is they're going through, develop that relationship, you know, and let them know that you're here for them. And it's definitely easier in the college setting than in the professional setting, because you spend so much time with the players over the course of, you know, three to five years, maybe even six, if they, you know, medical red shirt, then you have that buy-in and that trust built in over a few years, as opposed to when you're working with these guys, you only have them for a small amount of time in the NFL and they could be traded on a dime. And that roster turnover, it's 35 to 40 new players potentially every single year. That's kind of what we experience. It's like, okay, now I got to start all over. And before I tell this guy what to do, like, let me ask him about him. Let me, you know, gauge what he really likes, what he's into, tell a joke or two, find some common ground, let him know, like, hey, I'm here for you. Learn more about his background from, you know, the medical staff because they have an in-depth amount of information that they receive during the medical evaluations and some of the some of the psychological stuff or whatever. And then trying to find an in that way. Um, it's definitely not easy, but I think the main thing is just continuing to have open dialogue with the players and then trying to find an, an in to be able to share some information, say, Hey, you know, I have, I have an idea. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I know that you've been feeling super sore. You didn't have a good game. You know, uh, you know, what do you, what, I have a suggestion for you. Do you want to listen to it? And some will take it, some won't, but it's one of those things you constantly have to do it because, you know, we're, we're there to take care of the athletes. Yeah. And I think that discussion piece is huge too on the, the education part of it. Cause it's, it's like, all right, I'm feeling super sore. I had a bad game and you have all this data, you're being shown it. And maybe they have no connection. They have no knowledge of, Hey, sleeping five hours is why. And I, as crazy as that sounds for people listening to the podcast, there are athletes that have no idea, no idea about, they just like, yeah, I just slept five hours. Like, I'm, who cares? You're like, all right, maybe that opens up a conversation for you to be like, this is probably a big reason why this nutrition piece that you have marked up here. Like that's probably a big piece. Why? And I think that discussion piece is important just to be able to open those doors. Like you mentioned with the college world specifically, um, that nutrition piece, what, what is the answer? Like, what was your answer to getting them to eat in uh in the best way that they can with the options that they have available. Were you working in the in the upper like administration realm of trying to give them better options at the cafeteria? Some of the athletes I work, St. Thomas were blessed. We have a really nice cafeteria. They have a lot of options. Some of the athletes that I work with at my gym, it's it's like they, they legit have like a pizza burger, like like it, that's their only options to eat. Like, are you were you working in the administration to be like, Hey, this is important. We should change some our cafeteria options. Were you working in the, with the athletes and just educating them, bring them to the cap and be like, Hey, this is, this is better than this is like, how were, how were you going about that world where that they, they are restricted to what they, what they have to eat and trying to make the best of some of, some of the worst options, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we are very fortunate because of what the, you know, Oregon, we had a couple athlete only dining areas. So we were definitely in charge of, um, there was a self-operation. So the food service staff was a university of Oregon athletic department employee. So I work really closely with the director of food service, creating those menus and those options for those training table meals for those pregame postgame meals, depending on what each sport was looking for. And, you know, depending on time of year, uh, what kind of nutrition periodization needed to coincide with that. So for the most part, I mean, they did a really good job. It's not like they had trained chefs back there, but they had some really good cooks that knew how to cook food that the guys would like. And we'd always try to put a healthy spin on it, but also have a lot of fun with it. Um, so being able to control it from that aspect was really important because 
a lot of players just don't want to take their money and buy food if they don't have to. And if you provide them with good enough options that keep them coming back for more then that's kind of a, a check mark. But then, you know, there's always a lot of others that are like, Oh, I don't want this. I'm going to go get pizza. I'm going to get wings. I'm going to get something else from outside. And you know, look, you take it as a go. You can't please everybody. And when you try to please everybody, you're not really going to please anybody. So trying to meet the needs of the masses was always really important. Making sure that we had good uh, relationships with sponsors and vendors and bringing in really good quality products uh, outside of just the mealtime. So we had the appropriate things for them to eat, you know, before, during and after training uh, to meet energy uh, demands, you know, snacking wise and trying to take it as we could identify players that needed a little bit more attention and having those, you know, full assessments and spending time doing the education piece because the education piece is really important. So that's one thing that a lot of places need to figure out it is how much can be provided them in terms of resources? What is it that they need? And then where that gap is. And if the resources aren't able to be provided, trying to figure out ways to educate them on letting them know like, okay, this is what you should put in your body at this time. And this amount based on your individual situation dictated by the time of year, you know, what training looks like, what the demands are and expectation is for you as a player to help you become successful. So some places can provide a lot, some places aren't. So again, it's just figuring out where that gap is. And maybe you have to spend a lot more time on education and you might only get through to 10% of the players, but it's better than none. Or if you're able to provide a good amount of resources, do as much as you can while guiding them based on what it is that they need, but then also identifying those that need additional help and providing that education too, whether it's in a large team setting with small nuggets or spending a lot more time individually providing that information to specific players. And I think just bringing it back, drawing it kind of together with the KPI part, like when you have those metrics, when you have some KPIs, even if it is uh, like, how are you feeling? That type of stuff. How, how did you play? I think that's really important to be able to show them numbers. It's been a big success at our gym of this, is how you're feeling. This is like what it leads to. This is what you ate during that time. Like maybe we should change it. And I think that's, I think that's super important for the education piece. Cause we can talk at nauseum about, Hey, this is what you should eat this. But it's like, Hey, this is how you're going to play that feel and play if you're doing these type of things. And this is how you're going to feel and play if you're doing these type of, if you're making these type of decisions and showing them that. Yeah, absolutely. And again, every place is going to be different. You know, it would be nice if there was three meals served to the players every single day, but at the same time, most of them probably wouldn't take advantage of it anyway. So there's always going to be some food waste and some money lost and players are going to do what they want to do. You know, the goal was to never really worry about what it is they do at home unless they ask, like, hey, can you show me how to cook X, Y, and Z? Can you give me some ideas of how I should attempt a grocery shop? Because, you know, this is how much money I have. These are the foods I like. What should I be spending my money on? But there are going to be a lot of players when you open up their pantry or fridge. I mean, it's going to be soda. There might be some beer. There's chips. There's pudding snacks. There's cookies. And that's it. Like, zero nutrition. And until that athlete really recognizes the importance of really trying to learn more about what they should be doing to maximize some of these opportunities in terms of nutrition based on whatever it is they're encountering or whatever they've been taught and learning, it's just not going to happen. So sometimes you can beat a dead horse, but words sometimes fall on deaf ears and you can't take it personal. Yeah. But coach, coach, that's awesome. Uh, And I know uh, we we took up a whole hour of your time, but I want to finish with some (laughs) rapid fire round questions here. And I got two for you. And the first one is, what are some of your favorite books? And I would like if you could do a non nutrition based book, but also a health slash nutrition based book that the listeners can kind of dive down some of your rabbit holes that you've gone down. 
Okay. Um, actually, my favorite, but I don't read a ton of nutrition books. Um, a couple favorites of mine that I really enjoy that are really applicable to anybody is um, Think Again by Adam Grant. I think it's, it's a really good book. I think everybody should read it. Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed. Where Others Won't by Cody Royal. Conscious Coaching by Brett Bartholomew. I think those four are some that most people might not have heard of. I mean, obviously conscious coaching is really big in the, in the coaching community, but the other three are very applicable to anybody that is in a leadership position that works with people that just wants to kind of get out of their own head. Like I had to over the course of my career and get a chance to really transition into more of a growth mindset of thinker, but also question my ideals and beliefs to try to make that much more of an impact. And then for a nutrition one, Oh, I, uh, nutrient power is really good. That was very eye-opening for me. I thought that was a really great read. And even if it's not, uh, books, are there other nutrition outlets slash sources that you can recommend? So it's not the GNC like bodybuilding.com <laughs> sources. Are there anything that you're looking at that you think the listeners should probably be transitioning their eyes to? It's tough because what I tend to spend a lot of time looking at or diving down or things that I'm not super familiar with, but they're also uh, opposite in my beliefs because I think it's just really important to learn from people that have opposing views, not only to strengthen my position, but also to learn from other positions. So I, you know, I just follow a, a bunch of random people on Twitter, not a whole lot on Instagram, but I also like to put out a good amount of content. And every now and then, you know, there's at least one nutritional tweet every few days or so that I think can be really applicable and I'll kind of transition that over to Instagram and explain a lot more in the captions that I provide. Um, it's tough because nutrition is so dogmatic. It's hard to say this is a really good source depending on who you're working with, the population. Is it for yourself? Is it for your athletes? Uh, I think that's where it, it becomes difficult to just give a, a general one size fits all recommendation. I got you. Well, last question of the podcast, and then you almost survived the whole thing. And this one, I love asking guests like yourself, where you, you've kind of had that reflection piece on your life. And when all of this coaching is over, when all the nutrition and health pillars are over, what do you kind of want your legacy to be? It's a good question. And, you know, it, it's changed over the years. And I would say, you know, everything I've done in my life, I've always tried to approach things in a different manner. So it kind of follows the line of Cody Rose book where others won't like that's where I've always tried to go. And I think for me, it's trying to make a large impact by showing people that they can dare to be different and go to places where other people wouldn't and still have success and still be able to impact people on a large scale without following the masses, you know, dare to be different. That, that's, yeah. that's a pretty sweet way to, to end the podcast coach. Thanks for being on. No, thanks for having me. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.